All right. Couple things when it comes to prospecting. Number one, cold calling is back. It was gone. It's back. It's working for whatever reason. Cold calling is back. Number two is you got to use unique things. So yes, of course, use video, LinkedIn voice notes, Slack uh, invites, WhatsApp or text, and even app mentions on Google Docs. Those are different ways to get in front of people. The other thing is when you're doing video or voicemails or um, voice notes, don't put your name in the beginning. You should say, hey, here's uh, hey, you're the blank over a blank and here's what you care about. And then talk about your product and then say, oh, by the way, this is Mike from Acme Corp. So make sure that you're doing that at the end. Now, for me, the there's a formula for how to do prospecting right. And the way that you do it is, one, you take your list of people that you want to go after. You split it into three groups. Top 20%, they're going to get um, more cold calls, more videos, more Slack invites, more personalization. Middle 50%, they get majority emails with a, a couple of those items. And the bottom, they get exclusively 100% automated emails. That's your testing ground to figure out uh, subject lines and those sorts of things. So that's how you set up who you're going to be going after. A couple of big, big key things to hear, though, when it comes to email nowadays. One is you have to use an email warming tool. I have emails in HubSpot that are getting 30 40% open rates. The exact same emails I have in Instantly, which is like an email warming upper thing where you can put 10 email domains, one campaign, and have the one campaign send 10 emails from each domain instead of one domain sending 100 emails. Those same emails are getting 87% open rates on instantly, the exact same email. So you have to use an email warmer with multiple domains. I think the, the thing that everybody's not doing is using Upwork. Fuck Zoom info. Fuck Zoom info. Here's how I get my information for prospects. I figure out who my ICP is and what my personas are. I create an Excel spreadsheet that's got things like name, email, company, title, that kind of stuff. But then I put in the unique things, like what's a restaurant in their town? Who's the mayor? Um, what's their tenure? What college do they attend? Um, what link? What, what post on LinkedIn did they recently post? What's a Twitter thing they recently posted on Twitter? I send that Excel with those headers to Upwork, and I pay about 40, 45 cents a lead, have them fill it in. I put all of those column headers as fields in the CRM. So when I press send, those can all be automatically personalized without me having to do a single second of research. But I can be hyper-personalized, hyper like authentic in my emails without having to do the personalization in the first place. Mike Manzi, your official sales guide, the 90 day night. You got a problem, I'll fix it in 90 days. You may know me from TikTok, but you're never going to forget me looking so good next to these ugly mugs on the Sassholes podcast. Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank Demand Farm, Winalytics, and Aaron J for their continued support. DemandFarm.com. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm's large deal, key account, and relationship intelligence products. 
Go to demandfarm.com now to schedule a demo. Ask for Iron Man. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In five hours over five weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team build the mindset and skills for a new buyer environment. Kick off in product-driven selling versus authentic conversations for all go-to-market teams. Team-level sessions for self-assessment and team dialogue. All go-to-market team wrap-up to identify top go-to-market strategy adjustments. Go to winalytics.com now. We got some shout-outs to do. Angelina McNeil got a new gig as experienced talent acquisition manager at Crow. Braden Rice, new gig, social media manager at Highview Tax and Accounting. Way to go, Braden. John Sestukaki, new position VP of Cloud Solutions and Alliances at Global Technology Solutions. Alexander Thuma, seven years at Sastock. Craig Petting, five years at Fragility Inc. Joshua Goodwin, six years at Biospace Inc. Natalie Furness got a new gig as president at RevOps Research Collective. Dr. Matthew Montgomery, two years at the American College of Education. Dan Sinier got a new gig as GM Enterprise at JobGet. Aaron Bauer, four years at Jack Cooper. And now, of course, we got some happy birthdays. Brian Fuller, Fabiano Maturi, Amit Bendoff, and our own Jamie Carney. Happy birthday. Happy journey around the sun. Mike Manzi, how the fuck are you, man? Pete, I'll tell you what. I cannot believe you and I are chatting today. And uh, I always talk about you as the world's best and scariest boss I ever worked for. And I can't believe basically 10 years later now we're talking on a podcast. I'm wonderful. I'm just outside of Boston right now, hoping you're enjoying Chicago and I'm looking forward to making some money talking to you folks. Well, shit, we, we connected on this new thing called the talk tick. (laughs) Yeah. I saw you, you have, you have something like uh, just the same number of followers that you do family members. So I was like, (laughs) okay, I, I can, I can friend this guy. He'll probably write back to me because he's not busy. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I've got over like 80,000, 90,000 followers in TikTok over the last year. Somehow on a dance platform, 37-year-old guy is making it work, but uh, leads are coming in and I'm generating. So what exactly do you do on TikTok? You say leads are coming in and you make money off of TikTok. Like how how does that work? Um, What I've realized is that the marketing funnel has completely shifted. It used to be um, awareness engagement conversion they would then buy once they were engaged and then they would see the value what it's now is is awareness engagement value and once they've gotten value from you then they convert to buy what you want to sell them so if you're providing them with a white paper that tells you why your company's great that doesn't provide me any value if you're providing me with a tip on how i can actually do my job better and i do my job better then I want to come and buy from you. So what I've done on TikTok is I've actually taken all the tips that are bite-sized that you can actually on a call immediately after seeing a 10-second TikTok implement. And by doing that, I'm getting messages from people every day, whether it's from text or anywhere else, saying, Mike, I can't help you so much. I can't thank you so much. I got one today that said, I'm currently the top rep in my sales team. Uh, the other one was, I'm currently the top, uh, the most pipeline in my sales team all because of your sequences or your tips or whatever. 
And so I'm providing value to them and it provides them with a reason uh, to want to work with me. So I have a conversion rate of over 80% of people do call me and I have a, a passive income stream from selling uh, my sequences, selling my script and other items. So people like me on TikTok, then they go, well, does he have anything I can buy? And he can buy something for, you know, a hundred bucks. That was really useful. Then you buy a few of them and then you go, you know what? I'm going to call this guy. He's got to fix my sales org. And as a result, I'm happy where I'm at now. I'll be able to help a few thousand people and um, hopefully more next year. My goal is a million people a year that I'm able to help. So on my way to doing it. So you start, how long ago did you start, Mike? Uh, I started TikTok August of 2022, one, 2021. And the reason was a friend of mine does boudoir photography and she was like the only other person who would admit that she was on TikTok watching videos. So she said she posted a video of someone looking at her, her photo album or whatever on, on TikTok. And she got a lead from it. And I was like, bullshit. I'm better than you. And I immediately, classic sales rep, took it as a competition. And I was like, I'm going to post on TikTok for 30 days. We'll see if I can get something. And if I do, I'm going to rub it in her face. I did. I rub it in her face. But then next thing you know, you know you're 30, 30 days in, you got $10,000. And you're like, well, what else can I do? And you start creating a newsletter, creating a Slack group, creating a community, really helping people. And now I 15x my business, like I was saying before, 15x my business year over year just from TikTok. And I would say 95% of my leads are TikTok at this point. Now, how old are the people that are on TikTok? Because what, what I've noticed is a lot of haters, uh, but I, I don't think when I say haters, meaning like, you know, get the fuck out of here, Gen X guy. And then, yes. of course, you know, I don't back down. I just keep hitting them till they go away. But, like, what's the age? Are, are you getting too old for a uh, talk tick? <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, actually, I'll share my screen for a sec. Yeah, go um, So, I recently did a survey of some of my folks here. And you can see a lot of reps, uh, but also a lot of leaders and owners. How old are you? So it actually, the average is around this like 37, right? I think the yeah, average yeah. or median comes to 37. But you'll see, I would say the majority of the phone calls I get are people that are, yeah, I'd say like my age or a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger. So let's say 38, 33 to, to 60. So basically these folks in here are looking for free tips and tricks. They're asking me great questions. They're, they're asking me about job search stuff. These guys are asking me about leadership stuff. I had a, a couple of videos go viral, a million, two million views about one-on-ones. So that's what these guys are looking for. Then these guys are like, I own the business. I'm sick of running the sales team. Can you run the sales team for you, for me? This is uh, my split for the survey, but I'm actually finding that I have two accounts. One is official sales tips and one is official sales leader tips. Official sales tips, it's like 60, 40 men. Official sales leader tips is like 70, 30 women, which I thought was interesting and, and wow. cool to see. Obviously, more women on the leadership side. Um, so who knows what it's from, but it's really cool. Now, Manzi, when we met, when did we meet? What's our story? Because I got a little CTE. I played ball back in the day, so my memory's not so good. Uh, sure. How did, how did we uh, introduce ourselves to one another? So I met you, it must have been 2013. Um I was moving from South Korea, where I lived at the time, to Chicago. Somehow got a job with Brandon Martini, who was sat underneath you at Career Builder in the staffing and recruiting group. 
Um, I was a regular sales rep, worked my way up to become a senior sales rep, went across the street, as we used to say, to the senior team and started as the, the first Canadian sales rep um, for career builder staffing and recruiting group. And then I saw that the person who had run the team I was previously on left. So I came over to you and I said, you're hiring me for this position, basically. And you were such a hard ass on me. You were like, Manzi, first of all, you have no experience. Second of all, you're not always the top rep. And third of all, uh, who, who are you to, to, to run eight people who each have $800,000 books of business? Like, what are you going to do? And it really made me try to think through, like, what can I do? And I remember, I wish I still had it, but you had given me a piece of paper. I had to put in my wallet. There was like the five tenets of leadership. But I remember the biggest one you had was follow-up. It was follow-up, 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 follow-up. And so I came in and uh, started running the sales team there. My favorite memory, for sure, my favorite memory working with you, though, Pete, was my first meeting with all the other leaders that you managed. And some question came up. I, I started answering the question. And you said, hold on, Manzi, Manzi, who said you could talk in this meeting? Yeah. Go sit in the corner. And you made me literally push my chair back to the corner of the room. And so I said, take notes like this. And I stayed in there for, I think it was like two or three weeks. You put maybe go in the corner of the room. And I was like, wow, I want to work so hard for this guy, <laughs> which I think <laughs> other people maybe didn't. But I was like, listen, I'm a guy. I've got daddy issues like the rest of us. And if dad says he's not approving, I'm going to win that dang approval. And so that's what we did. And I haven't talked to you since 2015, maybe. <laughs> so the stuff that uh, we did back then. Can it, Wait, so that's when you guys were doing the stand-ups, right? That's when you guys were doing the big group stand-ups is in 2015. I, I think it was before then because we were too big. Uh, you couldn't get your chair till you set, set a meeting. Uh, yes, that sounds about right. Oh, <laughs> That sounds about right. We'll let it get I don't think that'll work now, I, right? Without, I, th I still... Yeah, probably not. But I do think that uh, I still, I still to this day, walk around and just say to people, "You afraid to be a millionaire? You afraid to be a millionaire?" Because that was Pete, Pete Jansen's. If he's walking around, he's going to say, "You afraid to be a millionaire?" Everybody would Pete would walk around. Butts were tight. It was a very tight butt situation. <laughs> <laughs> so the but stuff that we did back, the, the stuff we did back then, Manzi. Mm -hmm. You would go and now we're starting to get back in the office because we had that weird period, you know, where everybody yeah, went yeah, away. Yeah. Now they're starting to come back in. Can you get away with that stuff today? What will happen? Will you lose a team? You know, like let's say a sports analogy, the manager loses the team. Would that happen today? <clears throat> yeah, it's a great question. So I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to work for some really international companies and some large teams. Most recently I was managing like 30 plus people in we must have been in 10 countries and so you have different regular social dynamics but also even cultural dynamics um and that's been the case for me for the last four or five years what i found from failing um is that you actually absolutely can get away with the really tough stuff being tough isn't an issue the only things that are tough are um things that don't, that don't seem fair or equitable um, and then obviously the cultural differences of, for example, um, I had an APAC team now for an APAC team and actually a Greek team as well. They're, they're typically more introverted or maybe I would refer to them as introverted. Um, so for them, for me to call them out publicly for feedback, 
it, it sends a message, I don't appreciate you. Where for that same message in Boston, for example, it sends a message, I really appreciate you. So changing when you say things or how you say things matters and, and the, the, the medium you use matters. But you can be as tough as you want. What, what I have found is that the toughness that you can provide really needs to be related to the bar that you set at the beginning. If you set the bar and say, listen, I'm the new guy. I expect everyone here to crush it. I don't expect, um, it, I don't, I don't accept issues. I accept solutions. Then when you have an issue with someone having an issue and not a solution, it's not weird. So it really is just expectation setting from the jump. The good news is you can actually set expectations even in the middle of your tenure if you sort of mess things up and been a friend. Something I, I think that the only, the biggest lesson I learned from, I, I was a teacher teaching English in South Korea. The biggest lesson I learned being a teacher in South Korea was um, don't smile for the first 30 days. And they so told you this because when you're managing 10 year olds in Korea and you're the crazy guy who looks different and speaks different, everyone wants to poke and prod you and figure out how they can be more friendly with you or fun. So when you shut that down and you say, listen, I'm the teacher here first. And the first thing I'm focusing on is your knowledge or translating this into our world. I'm the manager here first. The first thing that matters to me is performance. It dictates the tone for the team. And you can then be friendly and fun and all that kind of good stuff that Pete, you did a great job of. But if you set that as second, it doesn't work well. You got to set performance as the first thing. Setting the expectations, I think that's key. And the people have to understand that you have their best interests, right? Because if they if if they think you're just being selfish, you're doing it for you know for your needs. I think uh, they'd be willing to put up with a lot more when when you're onboarding. That last interview is almost like the first one on one. Manzi, I like you, but here are my concerns. I'm willing yeah. to take a chance on you, but you have to work on this, this, and this. You have six weeks to prove me wrong, and you know, whatever that time period is. And they come in right. and they hustle and you check up on them. And uh, when we were doing business, the sales cycles were a lot shorter than they are, you know, today, you know, three, three year contracts. Ha. Ah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That wasn't what was happening. No. Yeah. So transactional business, classified advertising business to uh, software as a service. What have you seen as the difference or these kids that are coming in, getting into sales? What do you see the differences from transactional to long-term deals? The biggest difference between going from transactional or even SMB, let's just call it, to mid-market and enterprise is recognizing that you're not a sales rep. You're a project manager. Too often, we're in the project management phase of the sales process and we're talking like we're a sales rep trying to convince someone to do something or convince someone about why we're a great fit. When really, once the person that we're talking to, which is typically not the decision maker, but once the person we're talking to, our champion, says effectively, I like your tool, I like your product. At that point, we need to recognize we are now peers. So we're like, great, we're working this together. Can you make sure you figure out what your team's gonna care about? I'll figure out what I can do on my end, you kind of figure out what things you need in order to say yes or no. I'll figure out the answers to those things. And what's going to be the biggest challenge in your end? All right, how are we going to solve that? All right, this vibe, this vibe. Hmm, okay, shoot, how do we do that together? As opposed to, 
the current vibe in particular for transactional, which is a status vibe of, hey, I want to buy your product, maybe. And we go, oh, we'll send you six links, um, two case studies, and 85 white, white uh, one-sheeters. Is that, is that what you need? No? Can I get in the call with your boss? Please, please, please. Discount, discount, discount. You only do that when you're when you're not on a peer status. So it's really important that you're you're project managing, not persuading and selling. So so Mancy, show us a couple of your uh, TikTok videos, your your popular ones. What is the message? Like you put it together. What were you trying to do? And then how was it taken? You know what I mean? You thought you're going to come across this way and. Because it's like, ah, this will never hit. That's what I've seen. It's like, I put this thing together. Nobody's going to like it. All of a sudden, kaboom. How did it work for you? Show us a couple of your videos if you could. All right, cool. So this is the first one that went viral. I hope you can hear the audio when it comes up. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you're a manager, right? How do you run your one-on-ones? I'll tell you how I do this as a five times VP of sales who's gotten dozens of reviews from people, even on Glassdoor, just saying how great my one-on-ones and other things I do are. I do 10 minutes personal, 10 minutes professional, and 10 minutes future. But here's what it really comes out to. Usually 15 minutes personal. The key is you need to be authentic, be super genuine. Super pro tip, be vulnerable. The 10 minutes professional is really more like five. What I want to go over here is anything I had to tell you about professionally, any of the numbers we need to talk about professionally, and then any complaints you have professionally. And then finally future. And this is exactly what I said. What's something you want to get better at? What are a couple things to impact whether you're good or bad at that? What could you do in the next seven days to make an impact on that? What's a quantitative milestone that if you hit it, we would know like you've gotten better at this. And then how can I help you? The side notes, I got so many, 160,000 likes on that. I think that one had 1.1 million views. Um, and what I find, so so a couple things. One, one thing that's really important is continuously having cuts throughout your videos. So you'll notice I had a couple of cuts. I was using the little... Um, which like every eight you... seconds I hear, I don't know. I, I try to do less than that. Every three seconds, okay. two okay. every every two to three seconds, um, a cut, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but a cut. Uh, here, I didn't do movement, but I usually am walking around or driving or doing some sort of movement or pretending that I'm putting plates away, something along those lines. The other thing is having it be a listicle. Here's the three things that I do in my one on one. So they have they want to listen to to the remainder of it. This one, I happen to use a, a, a stitch where you have somebody else's video, then I click stitch and I, and I do the other bit. <clears throat> but for the most part, I don't I do not do that. What I have found is the number one right way to go viral is um, controversy. So this went viral, though I think I want to say because it's amazing. Everyone loved it. I have the most incredible knowledge on it. And I do have hundreds of comments with people saying that and, and plenty of people who have book time with me and then said, Hey, the reason I actually book time with you is I loved your one-on-one video. But, but a lot of it is one-on-ones are stupid. Everyone hates one-on-ones. I would never work somewhere with those one-on-ones. Screw this guy. But because of that controversy, people have been commenting on those comments saying, why would you say that? Liking stuff. And so once the comment section gets moving, then it really starts to get a lot of traction. So that's for sure the biggest one. I'd love to show you another one if you're open to it that I know. One on one stupid because of the person running the one on ones. Like if someone Um, says they're stupid, I would look at who your boss has been and running one on ones because you probably just wasted time for a half hour each time. Yeah. One on ones I have found are always skipped, um, never about the rep, and um, always a waste of time. 
and elite. This is coming from the hundreds of comments and from my experience, other people, because they are either used one-on-ones are either used as a place for managers to just dump knowledge on people about what's happening in their world. They don't care about, or they're used for the manager to just complain or or to rip the, the rep apart and say all the things that they should be doing better and why they stink. Or they're used for nothing. And the manager knows they should have them because they were sending some video and they end up just talking about life, but never at a deeper level. So if you're not getting vulnerable in your one-on-ones, you're not talking about the scorecard and how they're performing. And you're not talking about how you can support people in those one-on-ones. You're wasting everybody's time. Those three things need to happen on every one-on-one. Wouldn't you say also the the one-on-ones that drive me nuts are when uh, the person coming to the one-on-ones is basically going through a list of tasks. To do this week and that's not valuable it's sort of like hey that is known like i know you're going to be doing tasks like that's what you're getting paid for i don't need to sit in a one-on-one and ha- and and go through babysitting notes with you yeah well what i find in particular so if you're a manager as a one-on-one when you become a manager and so you're doing your one-on-one with your boss what i think is really important is that you are coming i know you you, you disagree with this with some of what you've accomplished not tasks, but like, hey, these items are now done. Just giving you an update on where we are progress-wise. Um, the next are questions. So all the things that came up that week that you have questions on that they can help you with. And the third is your priorities. And you don't say to your boss, does this look good? You say, which of these priorities would you adjust? When you ask your boss, when you show your boss your priorities, your boss sometimes might feel like, oh, I don't want to step on his toes and tell him his priorities are a little bit off. Or I don't want to argue right now about what his priorities are. I just want to let him feel empowered. But if you instead, so if you instead say, hey, how would you reprioritize my current priorities? Then you and your boss are always aligned. And every week you're like, I'm feeling good because I'm getting what I need from my boss to say, hey, I'm finishing things. I'm getting the support I need and me and him or me and her are feeling super aligned because our priorities are straight. So I don't so I think that's really, really important. I don't mind how you said that. I think sometimes I find myself with some of the the kids that have reported to me where we have a half hour one-on-one and they're spending the whole half hour trying to tell me what they've done or what they're going to do. And there's yeah. no discussion. It's more of just a list. And I'm like, you could have sent me that list. And we I haven't heard about. anything from either of you guys and it could be 2022 or it can be 2000. Why is the person doing the job? Like, what are the goals? If you're a leader, you're supposed to be removing obstacles uh, to help people get where they want to go. How do you know where you want them to go? Is that getting too personal? Or I got a feeling, I don't know, I've been out of the biz for a while, but I got a feeling that people don't know why they're doing their job. They're doing it to for rent so they can go out on Saturday night, have a couple of pops. And that's it. If that's the only reason why you're doing the job, you're not going to deal with the the rejection bullshit that goes goes along with sales. Yeah. So when I run the one on ones, before I run, before I start running consistent one on ones, the first thing I'm writing down on my sheet of paper is what is their motivator, which is typically either competition, recognition, status, or cash. Um. So what are they motivated by? What's their disc profile? So I know how I want to communicate with them and what's something, what is their current strength and what is the thing that's currently holding them back for the, uh, for them being the number one rep for the year. And I share that with them. So I'm saying just like you would with a business, you would say, we want to sell $1 million to get to $1 million. We need 10 sales reps uh, and a product that is enterprise ready. Great. 
And then each quarter you work on hiring the sales reps and making the product ready. Just like that, like that with sales reps, you want to say you are currently really bad at next steps. You cannot close well. Okay, every quarter we're going to be focusing on that to make sure that you are getting better at that and just knocking off how good you are at those things. So in the video where I say 10 minutes for you, 10 minutes for me, 10 minutes for future, the 10 minutes future is saying, how do you want to get better? How do we make sure we get you there? Now, to your question, though, of like, are we talking about the why of why, why they're doing what they're currently doing? I don't think of that as a one-on-one conversation so much. I think of that more as um, when I'm giving feedback to somebody to say, you're currently doing X, which is hurting you from doing getting to your Y, or you're currently doing X, which is helping you to get to your Y and re- reinforcing that day to day. Yeah, that's more of a review, right? Like a quarterly or annual review? Yeah, do you do quarterly reviews, annual reviews? Anybody do those anymore? <clears throat> so I don't do quarterly or quarterly business reviews or, or annual annual reviews with the sales reps. What I do is I do monthly business reviews with the entire sales team. So, And I also do the exact monthly business review with all the executives as well. So in that monthly business review, we're going to be going over the scorecard, showing the inputs and the outputs. So activities, contacts, calls, emails, meetings, proposals, sales. And I want to look at all the trends within there because too often what we do is we say, it was a good month. Was it good because we got a lot of leads? Was it good because our win rate went up? Was it good because our deal size went up? Was it good because our rate from discovery and proposal went up? So identifying those trends ahead of time for the sales reps, because I actually don't believe that having the sales reps look at their numbers is helping them really understand it. I believe that as that as the leader, we're sort of like the the data visualization tool for the sales rep. We can see the data in Salesforce or whatever CRM, and then we can visualize it for them to say, hey, here's what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, what according to the data it says we should be doing, here are the trends I'm seeing, and then let's have a conversation about it. And we walk away in that month with, here are the new things we should be doing as a sales team. Now, this is really helpful when you're trying to handle change management because you have an entire sales team saying, I'm looking at the numbers and I'm involved in the decisions Here's what we should be doing versus, hey, guys, FYI, we got to sell bigger deals. Try to do it. And everyone's saying, screw you. Man, so you have to be good at video these days if you're going to sell something. Isn't that right? Think think 2013 when we were working together. Were we doing video voicemails back then? Yes, we were doing video voicemails back then. And it was crazy. Like it didn't, I don't even know what tool we were using. Like it wasn't Vidyard. It wasn't Loom. So I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how we were doing it, but it was there. What I will say is that video is really important. I use Vidyard every day. My recommendation for how to use video in short is you need to first create credibility, second, sell your product and, and move on. And then third, and third call to action. So my videos are, hey, Tom, you're the title over at company, which means you probably care about this and this. And I can't help with those things, but I can't help with that last one, uh, th- th- this last thing, X. Maybe we should talk. I'm doing it with a couple other people, your peers over at company and company. Um, drop me an email. So it's a really short thing. And I try to make the first two things, things that I can't I can't impact, creating credibility of saying I can't do this, but I can't do that, and creating credibility by saying I understand your business. So let's say it's a, it's a VP of sales, for example, or head of a company. I might say, hey, you're the head of a company over there, Tom, right? So that probably means that you care, you're pissed that everybody's not working as hard as you would work. Your your reporting is terrible, but everyone says you got to buy some new tool to fix your reporting. And your sales team could be doing a lot better, but you're not sure how to fix it. I can't fix those first two things. Now, your sales reps, 
that's where I can help you. I'm working with your peers over at John Deere, Wistia, and Snowflake to make sure their reps can be 20% better in the first 90 days. Maybe we should chat. So the first few things, he's like, yes, you get me. How do you know that everybody wants new tools and is spending my money? Because I know what an owner hears. So that's mm-hmm. what I think there. But I'm going to take this to the next level. I'm going to say video, video got big and then everybody got tired of seeing these videos <laughs> that we got from all the Vidyard employees. And yeah. so now what I'm actually pushing my, my uh, clients to do is use LinkedIn voice note. So just the press and hold voice note on your, on your phone. You can't do it on the website um, because you just see a blue bar. I got to open that. Um, I'm recommending that they use Slack invites. So you can do Slack connect. So invite them on Slack connect. If you can use WhatsApp or text, send it. And right now I'm playing with the idea of at mentioning people on Google Sheets. So, you know, you have a Google Doc and it's like a one sheet of whatever you guys do. You can easily at mention and you just insert anybody's email on the planet and they'll get an email saying, hey, you've been mentioned on this on this document. So those are the things I'm looking to do to go outside of the scope. There's a bunch of other ways that, that I'm trying to personalize at scale. These are just some unique ones that are big now. How do you help uh, sales reps stop getting ghosted with the, the status? <laughs> sales reps all hate getting ghosted and all hate getting treated like they're lesser. But then in their nonverbal and in their verbal, they treat they show themselves as lesser. The biggest example of this is people join a call and they go, thank you guys so much for your time. Who's thanking who here? You know, like you're clearly saying I'm lower on, on the totem pole. Or do you still have time for me? I'm a loser. I'm a loser. There's a few things you got to do to change your nonverbal that makes your status higher. And when your status is higher and you're a peer, you don't get ghosted. You don't, you don't ghost your friends because they're your peers. The way that you can make sure that you don't get ghosted is number one, you want to use down tones. So instead of saying, Hey, should we connect? What's happening? Should we connect? What's happening? There's a couple things I want to do today. This down tone where I actually change the pitch of my voice down at the end of the sentence says I'm powerful, right? Another one is listicles, just like in BuzzFeed. So you go, there's three things I want to tell you about today. There's two things you want to make sure we talk about. When you do that, you sound like you know what you're talking about. You're really organized and people want to listen. Another thing that you want to do um, is you want to actually be upfront when you can't do things. So usually reps go, oh, can you do this thing? Oh, um... So we have a native integration with Zapier, right? So instead you want to say, we don't do that. Is that going to be a problem? And those are a couple of the big things that you could do to really sound higher status. And I'll show you a video I did if you're open to it. where We've got 2.1 million views all about status. So let me open it up. Hi, everybody. This is great. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm so appreciative that you guys have 30 minutes carved out. Are we still good for that? Glad we're all here. Uh, Jennifer today is X, Y, and Z. Sound good? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, we, I'm not sure if we can do that exactly, but um, yeah, let me get back to you on that. No, we don't do that, actually. Is that going to be a deal breaker, you think? Yeah, we hear about them all the time, but really, you're going to have some really bad service with them, and the tool doesn't quite work the way you think it's going to work. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're all pretty good tools. I mean, the biggest difference between us and them is this. So if that's important to you, you should go with us. If it's not, you should go with them. There are a couple of things that you do to make sure that they recognize that you and them are peers. And again, going back to you, how important it is to project manage with a peer versus persuading your person above you.
This is exactly how CEOs want to get information, right? Quick, 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 you know, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And that's how sales reps have to talk. What you, you have 10 seconds go. All right. You bought another 10 seconds go. Right. Exactly. And, exactly. And uh, we had Todd Capone. That's how I found you, Manzi. I think uh, he, he, I did a little clip where he said, Hey, I have a 92% response rate on my video proposals. And uh, I'm like, let me put that up there. And basically he says he does a side-by-side -side video for three minutes and says, Hey, this is what, this is why I'm calling. This is why you should buy the product. And then the company shares it around, saves time. It's like you in, you out, you know, the politics that are involved in it. I, I hopefully just closed the deal just this morning. And the, the woman was upfront about it. She's a CFO of the company and said, listen, can you send the proposal ahead of time? So I have time to digest so that when we do talk, I can come with questions because too often what happens at the end of the proposal call, they go, okay, let me think about it. Wouldn't you prefer the proposal call is we thought about it. Here's our 10 questions in order to say yes. So yeah, I use the video proposals constantly, especially when I don't have access to say, how do I get this information over to your boss? You know, go, I'm going on a tangent here. I, I will say something I always say to people who are like, hey, how do I manage this new team? I don't know anything about this, this company. Is I go, listen, you figure out the problem is whatever, whatever you want to happen. There's only two things you can do. You can either reduce the friction to them doing what you want them to do or increase the incentive to do what you want them to do. So if that is, hey, I don't have access to my, I can't get on a meeting with your, your CEO, I'm gonna go, great. One way to reduce friction to that is I can give you a video, you can forward up. Another way to, to increase incentive is to, you know, provide you with a, um, somebody on my side, like our CEO, to make that call even more, more enjoyable. Do you think companies should have their own like video departments? I mean, corporate marketing, but specifically like a studio where, you know, this stuff is, professionally done or is it better to be raw authentic that you know you did it yourself it's not professionally done what 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 do you think there's a reason why tiktok is has more users in 45 minutes a day i think is on average people using it over instagram and it's because instagram is all blurry bullshit people with their with their filters on and tiktok's not Best, I tell everybody your best video should be on your iPhone moving, walking around. The, I walk around the house, or I'll, like I said, I'll put a put fake dishes away, and that's way, way, way more engaging than uh, than not. I mean, heck, on my website, for example, I put all I put the screenshots of testimonials, not uh, you know from text messages and emails and WhatsApps or whatever. I don't put like the perfect image because it looks like bullshit, even though it isn't. So no, you should absolutely not do intense videos. They should be on your iPhone, vertical, because um, the only thing that's happening, the only thing that's really changing is the amount of millennials that are that are moving into leadership roles and then eventually the amount of Gen Z. So if we're making it higher quality, we're focusing on baby boomers or Gen X, which are towards the other end of the spectrum. So no. We should be doing a walking podcast where we just walk around. It would be really engaging. Except for the video will be like all jacked up. Yeah, people will get seasick. <laughs> I get to see everybody see Pete. He'd be like this. In the yeah, video. Pete, he would be holding <laughs> his computer. Manzi, what would be your top tips that you could give to the people on Toctic and YouTube on video proposals? If you're going to send a video, if you're going to produce one, and this is a deal that you need, 
what are the top tips that you would give? So first tip, make sure that you have created three items so you can clearly show a good, a better, and a best. Um, next tip, make sure that the video is a, a real video live of you doing it and you're not cutting around with the video. You're just ready and in the moment. The next thing I would say is make sure that you discount one of them, not by numbers, but by how you talk about it. For example, yeah, you, you fit into tier three. I don't think you need that. We can put you right in tier two. Um, finally, you want to talk about the why behind things. So if, you, if you're organized, if you can't organize the proposal in a why format of, hey, in order to give you X, we're going to provide you with Y, um, you have to talk about it that way. So don't just say, this is the part of our product that is hardware. This is the part of our product that is software. It should be, to, in order to get you guys to see higher return on your investment of X, we have this hardware. And in order for you guys to see an easier way of um, implementing X, we have this software. If you're a good sales rep, especially when working from home, uh, do you recommend getting an assistant to do all this bull crap so your time is just spent with a potential client? I will tell you what, the last company that, that I worked with um, full time, we got assistance for the sales reps and they filled out HubSpot. They took notes for calls. They reminded the sales rep what to do. And sure, they helped with prospecting, but it was the first three in particular. And you know how much more they were able to get done and how much happier they were and how much they didn't want to leave? A lot more. And you know how much happier I was having HubSpot filled out? Heck, I was running pipeline reviews with the assistants to go, what's happening with these deals? Having someone who costs $1,000 a month um, in the Philippines or in South America is wonderful. And to do all like the, the kind of BS paperwork, for example, like, hey, can you, so-and-so, can you send this person the email? Can you update the notes and tell Manzi X, Y, or Z? Can you go have a meeting with my boss to figure out what I should do on these eight deals? I'm going to go run six more phone calls. It increase the capacity. So instead of having to hire three more sales reps at 150 k I was hiring two assistants at 12K and getting the getting all keeping those sales reps happy. You're saying take your best people who have the most knowledge, the most skill, and put them in front of as many of your best high quality prospects as as possible, right? All the other stuff doesn't yeah. matter. But the pushback when I make that statement is you want to have your best salespeople be on that initial phone call. Do you agree with that, uh, Manzi? Yeah, I actually think that predictable revenue or predictive revenue, whatever that book is, has kind of been great for software companies, but it's actually created a beast where we all think now, if I have a company, then I need an SDR to qualify leads. I don't think that's true. If you have a company and your AEs are getting such terrible leads because your qualification processor of who you go after is so bad, yes, you need to now hire someone to handle that. But really, the first phone call should be the account executive who's doing not only qualification and discovery, but also creating intrigue. If the client is not leaving the first call with intrigue, you messed up. Now, it doesn't need to be an hour-long phone call where we're giving a demo that's custom based on the discovery. We don't have to do that in call one. It can simply be discovery and intrigue is call one. Deep discovery, deep demo, more intrigue, and pricing in call two. Or leave pricing out, put that on call three. That's fine. But better to have a sales rep versus an SDR doing that. Now, that said, I'm a massive proponent of the opposite ratio of SDRs to AEs because I think too often we go, well, everybody else does like 
one SDR for every two AEs. And I'm like, yeah, but does do they create enough leads for the AEs? Well, no, but the AEs should do their own prospecting. Well, do you want to have an SDR who's doing prospecting for you? Or do you not want an SDR? The AE should do it because why don't you just commit to one of these? Are the SDRs getting cut? Carney, you got thoughts on that. Do you think we put, we put too many SDRs out there five years ago, whatever? I, I think in the enterprise world, uh, enterprise sales, it's a two-hour sales cycle having a 22-year-old calling and trying to schedule meetings with memes and gifts ain't going to work. And and I got data that shows it hasn't been working. Um, you, you, if you're going to invest you two years of time, why not spend five, 10 minutes yourself trying to schedule that initial meeting rather than have a 22 year old guy trying to get in front. I would agree with that. And I would argue if you can take, if you can get the information, if that sales rep can go, here's the 10 things I want. Can you go read through their um, investor relations document for me, pull out 10 things I would care about. I will write an email that makes really a good sense. And I will do the texting and all that. We've over rotated on that. I agree, but just, I think I see think where the, we go with video here because I feel like more and more people are saying you got to do video, and I'm seeing more and more people, and it's real stupid videos where they're trying to outreach to you, and they've got a white sheet of paper. They're just customizing. It's yeah, it's like, hey, look, it's you, your name, you know, and it's like how like we're over rotating on that to the point where the good videos might get lost because everyone else is doing dumb videos. Yeah, that, that's and which is the exact reason why I'm seeing saying that my clients like, hey, move to LinkedIn voice note, move to Slack invites because people don't want that stuff. And it's why it's so important what I said before about it's awareness, engagement, value, conversion. One of the first things I recommend to clients when they're doing prospecting is creative value sequence where you are literally sending emails or voice notes or whatever that actually creates value. If they were to take your direction and, and do the thing you told them to do they would say, oh, that worked. And if it works, then they'll be open to actually talking to you. So I think that's more important than how cool my video looks. Hey, Manzi, how do you build an outbound sales team? I used to remember how to do it back in the day, but what's changed? How do you do it now? Yeah, I mean, th this is what I'm doing for most of my clients right now. I have a lot of clients where it's the CEO or the COO or someone in marketing who's running the sales team. What you got to have is a couple of things. First is you need the financial model to figure out how many reps do I need? How much can I afford to pay them? How many activities and contacts do I need to do to hit my target? Too often people are saying, I want to sell $10 million. I also think we should hire one sales rep. And I'm like, maybe you do need one. Do you need two? Do you need one and a half? How many SDRs do you need? So really thinking through all of that is the first thing. The second thing is you got to figure out who your target customer is and create a list using Upwork to figure out all the different ways you can customize emails by using headers on, on uh, your Excel um, to get a list of people to go after. Next, you got to make sure that you have really, really, really good sequences. So I sell my sequences. I think I showed you earlier, 87% open rates, 4% reply rates. So you take those sequences and you customize them to the type of people you're going after. So there should be one for CEOs, one for CHROs, one for the different types of um, people you're going after. You put all that in your CRM so that you can automatically get that content out there. Um, you have to build a script that is repeatable because you, what you're doing is not something that can be repeated by 10 other people. You create a script for it. You got to create onboarding so that when you bring a new hire on board, you don't have to have them shadow you for three weeks. You can actually make it clear how they can move up and how they can learn, learn the information. Two things I think are really important that no one else does. One is a promotion path. 
needs to be laid out immediately that clarifies their tenure and what they have to do in order to move up, combined with a firing path. If you do X, you will then be put on a PIP and you will then be removed and showing every scenario so you have this the, the expectations set from the beginning. And then finally, hiring the people to go make all this stuff happening and managing it appropriately. But these are things that people think are easier said than done or sorry, easier to do than they actually are in practice. Now, back in the day, I think even you and I banged head a little bit on scripts. Uh, people don't like to use them say, I sound like a robot. Uh, your thoughts? I actually sell scripts right now that are doing really well, both in terms of how I sell them, but also the responses I'm getting from people um, that are using them. When it comes to a script is you need the general outline of how a call should go. We typically get in a call and someone will then derail us. We want to be like, so we allow them to derail us. So if we know ahead of time the exact way that we're going to start the call, the exact questions that are needed without all the fluff BS questions that we're asking because our triple boss above us told us to do it, the exact questions we have to ask, and we have something at the bottom that actually tells us what are the next steps and drives us through us, then we can actually get the call done well versus we leave the call and we say to our boss, that was great. Why? I don't know. He smiled a bunch. Big fan of scripts. That's really important is to have the structure. The second thing is when you roll out a script, you need to first give the script and try it. So you're not just writing words down that sound good. But second, have the reps put it in their own words and explain the why behind each of those words. So when they change it, they're keeping the essence of it. So if it's in their own words, it's their script, not your script. And then if you can then just give it the structure, they can look at it on a call and actually use it. Number three, you got to fucking rehearse it. Mike Manzi, uh, what's the best way for our loyal listeners and watchers to find out more about you? Well, it depends on what you're looking to do. If you're looking to, to get all my templates, you're going to want to go to officialsalestips.gumroad.com. If you want to get your org built up in 90 days and have a full sales team, you're going to want to go to calendly.com slash salesmike. And otherwise, you can find me anywhere on social at Official Sales Tips. Mike Manzi, thank you so much for coming on the Sassholes Podcast. Glad to be here. Hey, Carney, happy fucking birthday.